if at any point you hear the um, TV too much, just let me know. Yeah, I'll let okay. you know. I mean, cool. I think it's it's really unprofessional that you're watching television while we're trying to do this podcast, but that's okay. Oh, you're just getting right into it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. No, okay. I think it's I you think wanna, it's you really wanna, just you want to go show there. Up. I want to go there, you know, Sean, ah, you said, hey, uh, can you be ready to do this in like five minutes? And I was like, OK, well, you know what? I'm honestly so irritated right now with all the online class stuff that I have to work through because I can't believe we're still doing that. I mean, it makes sense that we're still doing it and we should still be I should still be doing like the online classes for students. But like, good God, I hate it so much. I just want to go back to in-person already. It's driving me nuts. And I, I was doing it. I was working on it. And then you texted me. No one me, cares. No one cares. I'm glad. About your life. But I am Yanni. so underprepared for this. Let me say two We're going to do it anyway. We're going to do okay, it anyway because I don't have time. Gonna, shut up. I want to say two things real quick. First of all, fuck no. My workplace is trying to get us to go back. I desperately do not want to go back. That is all. Fuck going back into work. Second of all, Yanni, folks, so you know, Yanni just skipped over like 90% of the backstory of what happened. So essentially, we've been trying to schedule this recording for the past like week and a half, right? It is Friday night. We are originally going to record Wednesday morning, but in case you're wondering, oh, why? Why didn't you record Wednesday morning? Well, I had other things to do throughout the week. And in case you guys forgot, by the title of this episode, Yanni picked a five-hour movie slash miniseries. It's a film. It's It's very It was difficult to watch. And it's not like a fun, engaging thing. I watched it in one sitting. It It was very engaging. It is hard to get through. (laughs) Well, your internet was better this time. He knew that. He knew it was going to take me some time. He also knew that I didn't have a boatload of time to devote to it. So I'm like, listen, I can't do Thursday. I mean, I can't do Wednesday, but I can do Thursday. He's like, I can't do Thursday. I'm seeing family. I'm like, same boat, buddy, but okay. I'm like, okay, Friday morning. Friday morning would have been perfect. Yanni's like, can't do Friday morning. I'm like, okay. He's like, can you do Saturday or Sunday? I, it's my it's my aunt's birthday on Saturday. And he's, he's just like, oh, you want to do that? No, I'm not going to record a podcast Which with aunt? you. I have more Which important aunt? things to do. What'd she get you for your birthday last year? Gift cards. I only have one aunt. You could have missed it. Yeah, fuck you. You could have... You could have told your sister not to stay with you. Yeah, well, you know what? You know what? I'm missing my own my own cousin's wedding because you know why? You're making that up. You're making I've, ta- <laughs> I've talked to her twice, twice in the last 15 years. Gift cards, yeah. you can miss big, a birthday. Big whoop. I'm missing big a wedding. Whoop. No, this skipping. This is- no, I'm not missing it. I'm skipping it. I am skipping the wedding. I am not attending the okay. wedding. Yeah, we want me. And it's not not out of indignation. I don't care. I, what I'm saying is, there are some times, certain points in your life where your uh your your your, your con- not your connection, but your your relationship to a a family member to a relative is not the most important thing. No, it's not. But because they 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 play a very tertiary part in your life, kind of like Fanny plays in Alexander and Fanny. Oh my God, we're but gonna we get, get into, into that. it. But all to say, don't don't let me say. By the way, you know, take that with a grain of salt. I still love the hell out of this film. It's just this is like I have one small qualm <laughs> Every with the title. Fucking time. 
Can we no, just, I'm gonna. Can we just? Hey, I just want to say tonight I played pool with my mother and we watched some IT crowd. I introduced her to the IT crowd. Oh, what do you think? Who's your she favorite character? It. I knew she was gonna like it. It's a great show. Listen, is it if Moss you like the Big or is Bang Theory? Of course, you're gonna like the IT crowd. You know. Anyways, so folks, this is a movie review podcast. Um, you got yours truly, Sean, me, and my fucking annoying hi Yanni Pontescoto here, co-host who the decides to warning. give, who decides to. Okay, it's not just a five minute warning. You said Sean. Can you record tonight? I said maybe. I don't know. I, I, I can't. It's kind of a spur of the moment. So you knew you were already on hold. And I said maybe in the next hour or two. I thought you were going to like hang out with friends or see people you hadn't seen in a long time, not play pool with your mother and watch the IT. I haven't crowd. seen her in like two years. So how about you shut the fuck up? Yeah, but you're gonna see her later. Okay. 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 What? What? I thought what, you had a date. You, you, I thought you had like a hot little date going on. No, you didn't. You definitely no, did thought, not think. In that. the back of my mind, I was like, "You are lying." Why would Sean cut out of the uh, just like step away from the podcast? There's only one thing I can okay, think of I in my mind. You just saw your family. I, did, I didn't just. I didn't, okay. Okay. You shut the fuck up. You just saw your family. I didn't go, man, we got to record right now. You specifically said, okay, family time. I can't do it. And I respected that. So why can't you respect the same for me? Why you could be such a jerk? Because I didn't bring my recording equipment with me. You could have. I didn't. That's on you. That's on you. No, it's not. It's on you. Oh my so God. we watched Fanny and Alexander this week. It was five hours and twelve minutes Anyways, long. This is a movie review podcast. Uh, we pick what 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 we do is we pick movies to spite each other because we hate each other. In case you haven't gotten that, so we hate each other. Yanni decided to do for the last couple episodes is you know what's a good idea when Sean doesn't have the most amount of time. Oh, I know. I'm gonna pick the longest fucking movies I can. Oh, I'm going to pick a movie so long that is considered one of the longest movies of all time. So long, in fact, that they had to cut it up into a miniseries because it's so long. <laughs> Yanni, why did you pick this movie beyond just tormenting me? Uh, beyond just tormenting Sean, again, I've been choosing every single pick in this series of 10. Has been only uh, three hour plus films or more just to mess with Sean because I knew about his condition, because I knew his internet at his father's was awful. I imagine it's better at his mother's. Is it? I do have Wi Fi here. So it's nice. you have Wi Fi. Okay. So that's, it was a little it's bit, at least you internet. didn't, the viewing experience wasn't uh, prolonged into an eight or 10 hour one, correct? Oh my God. It w- no, it wasn't nearly that bad. It, it, I didn't have the delays that I had in the previous episodes. Okay, well, you know, that's 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 a positive, I suppose. You can walk away with that in your pocket. Uh, but aside from that, aside from just wanting to torture Sean, uh, this is a, I, I'm a huge Ingmar Bergman film uh, fan. I'm a huge Ingmar Bergman fan. I recently watched more or less his entire filmography. And Fanny and Alexander, I knew, was always uh, heralded as one of his uh, best late works. Well, not just one of his best late works, but one of his best works in general. And it came towards the end of his career. It was kind of like his swan song in terms of uh, filmmaking. But in it, he tackled pretty much every single um, every single theme, every single idea that had kind of built up into his career or made his career over the past, I think, 40 years up to that point. This came out in like 1984 three or 86 one of the two i don't have it in front of me 
How will you um, do your research next time? <laughs> either way, um, it was also a project that was very close to him personally because it was uh, autobiographical in many ways and shapes. His father, there's a big, the, the antagonist of this film is a uh, preacher, a bishop at the, at the Uppsala church. His father was a very renowned uh, preacher in, in Sweden at the turn of the 20th century. Uh, so you've got a lot of parallels there. It really discusses his relationship with religion and his parents and all of that stuff. Uh, really great. There's a lot you can go into, a lot we're not going to tackle here uh, because of the nature of this podcast. Also because despite needing a break, I don't want to do this for two hours tonight. Absolutely but no way am I going to yes. give you everything. We're going to gloss over so much. Good. This is going to be a glossy a shiny, glitzy little little episode. I didn't say that. In the canon of the FYO opinion podcast gmail at dot com at the uh, you know, podcast at gmail.com. I will history. say I've been trying to put this on my resume. It's very difficult to put it on your resume. <laughs> how do you why how? How so? Why? How do you put fuck your opinion on your resume? Well, look, rename the podcast. Re- rename the podcast. It, I, it's I'm F, thinking it's of it. F- Asterisk, asterisk, K, your opinion. Do a big reveal where the two asterisks were an O and an R. Fork your opinion. And maybe we introduce some sort of like dietary. Listen, we, we only have like 10 regular listeners. So it doesn't even matter if we change it at this point. It's more that everything is linked together. So it's a bit of a pain in the ass. But, you know, I'm considering it. I'm thinking about it. Listeners, if you have any suggestions, Right into FK your opinion podcast at gmail.com. So yeah, that's why I chose uh, what, it. And if so that's why if, you chose uh, it. If I if I am allowed what's you, what's your rating? To give it a rating with some like sort of uh oh man. You know, the nearest way of approximating a film like this, uh, its score, it, you can't really give it an even number. You know, you have to go somewhere in the middle. Because it's a very uneven movie. And, well, no, it's not that it's a very uneven film. It's uh, it's that it's really good, but I don't think it's Bergman's best. I think Bergman's best was Scenes from a Marriage, the uh, the series itself. But this is still pretty high up there, and it can't be an even eight, and it can't be an even nine. So I think we're gonna have to we're gonna have to talk about we're gonna have to bring in what we were talking about a, a while back, and uh, maybe introduce uh, decimal points into the rating system here. So uh, oh, with that great. being yeah yeah shocker no, it's, i really shocker. like i really like that idea um with that in mind i'm probably gonna have to give this one an 8.6 out of 10 okay so what do we do Great. next sean cool well i'm actually gonna skip something and i'm gonna normally what we do is the plot summaries but i want to skip this snapple fact right now because that's what i'm looking at it i have Folks, if you go back a couple episodes, I used to do Yogi Green Tea quotes to get us started. Then being with my father, drank a lot of Snapple, did Snapple facts. Now that I have left my father's, there were a couple Snapple facts that I was keeping on hand that I wanted to remember. So I wrote one of them down and Yanni, I'm going to have you read it. So there's a Snapple fact of the day right here. Okay. Um, one, two, three, four, five. Six seven eight. What nine what eight the seven? Fuck are you talking about six that's five? That's not four, what it is. Three two He's one. Oh well, that's what you shit. pointed at. All right, all right. I had. No, why would you? Why did you point at that then? That's not the one you were reading. So it was going to be snapshot. That's what you pointed at. One hundred twelve. You were not reading the what I was wrote. 
So Snapple Fact 812. And folks, I'm going to get the uh, numerical terminology wrong with this because I didn't even look into it. So 111111111. So that is 111,111,000 times 111 times 100 million. 100,000, 111 equals, and this is where I'm going to get the terminology wrong. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. So like Frank Dukes, his knockout history, right? Is that in the quadrillions? That's that's how long this movie felt. Is that how many seconds were in in the film? Yeah. In minutes. In minutes. That's how many minutes I thought this movie was. It was it was three hundred and twelve minutes. That's not it's that like long. Twelve quadrillion or something like that. Sean, that's like the entire length of that Loki show. Wait, how many episodes were in the Loki? The what? Six. The Loki. What's the What's the Loki? The Loki. You know the one with the horns and he's bisexual. Loki. Uh, yeah, I guess if that's how you pronounce it. You know it's Loki. You know Is mythology. It Is it? You're eight trying to episodes? be funny. Was it ten episodes? It would have been funny if it was a Law and Order joke because that show just keeps going on and on. But you did something. That's a short series. No, that's not funny. How, what I'm saying is what's the length? How many episodes was it? It was six episodes. Okay, then. This, it was just as much. It was just as long as this then, more or less. It was like watching all of Loki. You can't in understand. Sitting. But I was making a joke. You don't even understand. Do you want... You don't understand why do you jokes? have a comedy? I what I don't understand is why you think this is a comedy podcast when you're the host. I think it's a con- you, first time you've acknowledged me as a host. Normally, you say I'm I've a guest, even never though I said you were anything host. but. Folks, just go back to like the last episode. I wouldn't bother, folks. It's he's delusional. He always has been. Next, what we do is the opposing party, the person who did not choose the movie in question, does a little plot summary. So my plot summary is a young boy who has a strong bond with his mother is haunted by ghosts. And then at the very end of the movie, Bruce Willis realizes that this is a plot summary for The Sixth Sense the entire time. Eh, uh, I need to write uh, more. I need to write more in the beginning part. But I tried looking it up and I didn't have time. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. That was uh, when did you put that one together? I had a kernel of an idea, but I didn't follow through with it. You, you know, didn't. that's what you it is. You should have followed that. You it really just fell flat. I'll fix it in post. I'll fix it in post. No, you. Oh, you. That's no. Don't do that. No, you need to be ashamed. You need to feel shame. It's important. No, I'll keep all this and I'll say, folks, I'm going to add the, the 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 better bit. But you can't deny that it's kind of. Weird. <laughs> it's weird. The parallel. I mean, it very loosely par. Very loosely parallel. Sure, loosely, loosely. Very Anyways, loosely. what's your? I, I the plot summary beyond that. Um. Uh. Okay. Yeah. Kid. Uh, plot kid summary. has a there, early. A, uh, what? 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 Um. What country are they? Sweden. Is it Sweden? Yes, Sweden. A, a, a Swedish aristocratic family. It follows technically not really speaking, quote unquote, um, a young boy. They're just bourgeois. They're just bourgeois. What's the difference? Aristocratic. I don't know. I feel like aristocratic kind of implies that they're involved in the in the government to some extent. Or I don't know. They've got I, some sort of. I I, yeah, I, I think would just call them. This bourgeois. is another one of your semantical debates. 
whatever. No, they're upper they're upper class, but they're, they're not upper like, class. You know, an upper class mom, Swedish mom, family. The matriarch and the patriarch follows, were actors. If, it's a family of actors. It follows an upper class Swedish family, and specifically two young kids, Fanny and Alexander. Kind no, it, of. It follows Alexander. It doesn't really follow Kind Fanny. of. Fanny's kind of just there. Kind of. And then it follows their life for the next two years or so. They have a great celebration for Christmas. Father really into acting and everything. Yada, yada. He dies. Yada, yada. Mother remarries to a bishop. Yada, yada. He sucks. Yada, yada. yada, yada. He dies in a fire. Yada, yada. He dies in a fire. Everyone's back together and they're happy. Yeah. You know, I do want to say, though, Yanni, you didn't do this intentionally, but it is a little ironic how some of the past couple movies have lined up in certain degrees that you weren't anticipating. My mother's name is Emily, and I'm staying with her and my stepdad right now. So it Whoa, is kind of... that's crazy. That's not a ironic. super common name at all. Oh, fuck you. I've never met anyone named Emily. I'm sure she's a lovely woman. It's a shame she, she has to have you I for just, a son. That makes me the Alexander. No, you're more like, uh... You're more like Carl. You're a little more like the Carl to... <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, man. Yeah, that's exactly. You're you're the abusive flatulent guy. Well, you know, at least he didn't burn in a fire, you know. Hey, you got alive. a wife. You have a wife, and she's a good singer. Yes. But you are hopelessly in debt. You're never shoveling your way out of it. No. Hopelessly in debt. We're talking uh, tens of thousands of kroner. You're not getting yourself out of that. Okay, can I this is not on my likes, and I doubt it's on your likes, but I did like um and tell me if I'm reading this wrong. Well, you know, I don't really care how I'm reading it wrong or right. This is how I was reading it. Essentially, Carl is like this ab- abusive guy to his wife. He's just every time he treats she treats him with compassion, like trying to be kind to him. He just is the worst. Like he just calls her an idiot. The worst, like the worst stuff. I'm not even like he is. I'm underestimating no, he's, he's how terrible he was. Um, but then near the end of the movie, she like bring when he's like throwing this all at her. And instead of being, you know, kind and supportive like she was before, she throws it back at him and he doesn't know how to react to that. So he ends up taking her position like in a 180 because she's learned that's how to kind of like reprogram him, you know, in a way. I'm like, that was really brilliant. That was really smart. I don't know if that's intent necessarily what it was going for, but I'm like, oh, no, cool. It- I think it was. I still think, well, let's get into that because honestly, Carl is like one of my few dislikes okay, about cool. this film. Um, so let's see. Uh, so I'm not looking at the plot summary. I told Yanni I'm not looking. I don't have multiple screens right now. I'm just looking at his ugly fucking face. Yanni, do you want to start the likes or do you want me to start the likes? Folks, what we do is we normally do three likes, three dislikes on each part. So what do you want to start with? I don't remember who usually starts. Usually the opposite person starts. Um, I want you to I start don't know. That. It's It's been varied. You've, I don't know. What What would you prefer to do? Because I'm not I want you outline. to start. I want you to start. You want me to start? Okay. I want you to start. Well, Yanni, what is the... F- Actually, let me actually go to the outline. So I'm going to have to close off on Yanni's face. Yeah, maybe it's a good idea to, you know, actually be completely prepared. I know what I wrote. I know what I wrote. But folks, I just want to point out. You didn't write anything. You posted a shut up picture. (laughs) Shut up. Before we get into the likes, I want to point out that normally what I'll do is I'll do screenshots of the movie. and I'll do a quote of it, you know, just kind of like bother Yanni. So the very first screenshot is from near the end of the movie. And the quote in the frame, 
It has Alexander in the frame and it says, he showed faint signs of life and said he was in unbearable agony. A quote to, you know, as I was watching this movie. Now, this is in reference to the bishop burning to death, but you know. And then I I also had a screenshot um, in the, the section that says why they chose it. So when Yanni explains why he chose it, I put a screenshot of the bishop and the quote is the bishop. I think it's the bishop says this line, right? He says, yeah, you're a cad of monumental proportions. And that's that's how I feel about you, Yanni. But as all to say, I didn't want that to be missed on our listeners. I wanted you folks to know that I said that all to Yanni and that I meant it. But anyways, my first my first point, my first like, Yanni, do you want to say what it is that I have there? Uh, it appears to be a, a a small image of a poster from whatever the craft is. I don't know what the craft is. It, there are four girls and it looks like they're wearing schoolgirl outfits. So I assume there's, there's something it's is very kinky and uh like the, the little tagline at the bottom says welcome to the witching hour what is that an allusion to was this was this an hour-long drama tv drama what was this i don't know i've never watched a- it's a movie it's a movie i've never watched it but my first what? note yeah why did you well, what <laughs> Why not go with like Casper the Friendly Ghost or uh, like anything else, ghost or witchy related that you've actually seen? It could have been. um, (laughs) What's that one that really that's awful that we both hate? It could have been uh, not. uh, No, it's the one with Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, Uh, the Halloween movie. uh, No, it's not Halloween Town. It's uh, it's not Halloween Town. I wanted to say that. I got it already because it's terrible. Uh, Hocus Pocus. Hocus it's Pocus, not. Ho- yeah. You could have gone with Hocus Pocus, and but I Yanni, still that would have been better. Point. That's not what I, I was know, going you, for. What is your point? Okay, what is your point? Because folks, I was very obtuse with my uh, likes because I really didn't want Yanni to know what they actually were. So number one, like Yanni said, is a picture from the poster of the movie The Craft. Because my first like is the craft of this filmmaking. Ingmar Bergman is the name of the director, right? Yes. I want to make sure I'm pronouncing it right because I don't say it in conversation. Yes. So Yes. Ingmar Bergman. Ingmar Bergman. So, folks, if you go back to the Passion of Anna episode, I hated that movie. I hated it so much. Every facet of that movie no, you was didn't. miserable and it sucked. You liked, so you liked some parts Yanni of it. So when Yanni told me that this was another Igmar Bergman movie. I have not seen another movie of his, but I can tell you I went, oh my God, five hours of this director? You gotta be fucking kidding me. And to my amazement, to my shock, to my utter bewilderment, one of the things that I like the most about this movie, and I do stress movie, and I stress movie because Yanni is gonna consider this a film, and that it would irk, it just irks him. It irks him that I call it that. Really, it sh- I should call it a limited series, but whatever. Anyways, the film. one of the best parts is just the craft of the director. It's kind of what we were talking about with Sergio Leone in Once Upon a Time in America a couple episodes ago. Bergman's, this is late game Bergman. So he's just such a master of the craft of everything that he's doing. There are so many little, little, little aspects and details in terms of shots, in terms of sound, in terms of just filmmaking as a whole that you just can't deny. Even like, especially in the first part, the first hour and a half or so, even if I wasn't totally uh, 
there were times where I'm like, why are we going? I, I guess what I'd say is in the first hour and a half, there's a lot going on. I'll talk about that later. But even if the whole, I was kind of like, eh, I would say every scene was so well crafted and there were so many shots. So there's one shot where he, he has this like a uh, fire right in his hands. Do you remember in the beginning? Yes. And he's going around and the camera is tracking with him. And it is just so beautiful. And it's just so stunning. There are other shots with the father before he passes away. For example, when he's first talking to his theater group, he's giving this whole speech. It's in a wide shot first, but it's still so captivating. And then we cut we, we cut to an extreme close up at basically the right time. Both feel so personal in their own different and interesting ways. And it's just, it's very clear that the director knew exactly how to hold our hand through every scene and exactly what to show us and how to show us. In the last part, there is this moment where, and this is not going to make sense if you haven't seen the movie, because again, there's so much to this movie. But there's a point where Alexander hears the voice of God. And when he hears the voice of God, I can't remember exactly how Bergman had the recording go. That's like the sound quality was a little bit louder than everything else. And the microphone was very close to the actor's uh, mouth as he was speaking. So you could hear the all these little like, like not like P sounds and clips and all these little things that just give it this surreal kind of disturbing, but like awe inspiring feeling just through the sound. And it's like, that's how, you know, there's a good director like taking you through. And the thing is this movie is littered with moments and things like that. Any decent director can probably give you good shots or you can hire a good cinematographer, but to know how to edit all those together correctly and to put the sound and all the, some of those, like a lot of these small technical things together. So and so smartly and so brilliantly is only very few can. And I was very impressed by that across the board. I know I ranted a little bit, but I'm sure you would appreciate that anyways. Oh no, I, I appreciated it. No, I appreciate it. Um, uh, yeah, no, I have not, I, I really don't have anything to add to that either. He was, uh, at the, he wasn't necessarily at the height of his game, but he'd been in the, he'd been working as a filmmaker now for four decades. So, a lot of people, I think, lose steam after that long, uh, especially people who wrote and directed as much as he did. Yeah, Ingmar Bergman wrote nearly everything he directed and uh, vice versa. Just the the fact that he kept on getting better and better and better with successive installments. I mean, he's probably most well known for The Seventh Seal or Persona. Those are his like two big film school ones. But it really just gets better and better and better from there. He gets he hones. He gets very precise. Very his messages are very succinct. The dialogue is, while being not necessarily sparse, it's very economic. It is what it needs to be, but it also feels extremely natural coming from coming from the individual characters. All and speaking of about characters, all the characters are very distinct. Uh, main characters are very distinct for the most part, excluding Fanny. Very unique individuals, very memorable for their personality types. You can clearly see that a lot of them were inspired by people. I imagine were inspired by people in Bergman's life. He said this was a very, it was a deeply personal project for him, autobiographical too, in in numerous ways. Uh, but my numerous. so 
Burning numerous, numerous, many, many, yeah, numerous. This actually, it, 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 it applies. The word is applicable in this context. Go back to the Passion of Anna episode, folks. (laughs) Okay. Uh, But I would have to say my number one favorite thing about this film is probably going to be, so it occurs in five parts, but if you're watching it on Criterion, there are four sections. So it's, that's a little, it's like four episodes, but isn't like five acts, but also a prologue and an epilogue. Yeah. And there's the, so the second part, which contains acts two and three are what I would consider to be some of the the 75 best minutes of filmmaking you can find out there. So much happens. Um, Well, actually, honestly, let me go back. Not a lot really does happen. These are the two acts wherein the father, Oscar, dies. Mom eventually falls for the bishop and the kids wind up moving out. So that's that's all kind of like it. That's everything that happens. Not a lot. You get some secondary plot lines, uh, subplot stuff in there, too. But the way it is handled, um, in particular, I'd say the first 30 minutes surrounding Oscar's death and the way it is set up with, uh, for a little context, at the very beginning, they're rehearsing for a stage production of Hamlet that they're putting on. Uh, Oscar's playing the ghost. He's giving a performance, and as he comes towards the, as he approaches the end of the scene, begins to feel lightheaded. In the previous episode, we'd seen him doing this before, and he collapses. He has no idea where he is, and he has to eventually be carted home. And I believe it's later that day, or maybe within a day or so, he dies. But the way Bergman films his death and he films the grief that people are experiencing around him is so personal and so authentic. I mean, we go into the apartment and we see each person, each character experiencing it in their own different way. Carl is very reserved. His wife is crying. His mother, who, by the way, looks like she's only 10 years older than the actor playing oscar but let's forget that uh his mother is sitting there with kind of a smile like almost half a smile on her face reading a book when fanny comes into the room and sees her father she immediately goes to his side and oscar falls down at his grandmother's legs or on on his grandmother's lap because he's almost too afraid to confront his father sorry alexander falls down on his grandmother's lap because he's too afraid to um, see his father in that state. Just uh, so many beautiful details and not a lot is happening. But because we have such a personal connection with all these people at this point, not a lot needs to be happening. We see the plot progressing in their faces, in their in their uh, postures, and in, in the way that they're reacting to it. And then... <clears throat> Oscar's death where uh, his his you know so he's already kind of like scared off Alexander to a degree his uh his monologue before he dies and then his communication with his wife and those few moments before and then leading up to his death it's so brilliant it's so quiet it's ah like it's the sort of thing that makes you want to go out and and imitate it but it's inimitable and die. you you, you want to watch well, someone yeah. die Sean, how's it feel knowing that no one is ever going to uh, ever going to be there at your side when you die? You know, I just hope it comes fast. I don't. I don't hope it comes fast for you. I want it to be slow. Thanks. I appreciate it. I I did have a question for you. Something I was thinking about as this happened. Kind of going full circle. When one of the moments you kind of glossed over, but I'm sure one that was stuck very much imprinted in your memory 
was when Emily reacted to her husband's death. Not yes. on the deathbed, not on the deathbed, but That's, after That it. was actually something I wanted yeah. to get into right after. Um, and so these are all very public reactions, right? These are how mm-hmm. people react to deaths when they're surrounded by other people. There's some reservation, of course. Some people act very authentically or they act like they're stronger. <coughs> Folks, Yoni's coughing. Maybe he's actually dying. Fingers crossed. They put up a front. They try to be stronger than they actually are. And I think that's what Alexander and Fanny's mother, Emily, was doing. And what we come to see later, the kids are asleep the night that their father has died. And Alexander wakes because he's heard some screaming a couple of rooms over. Fanny eventually wakes up with them and they go out and they seek out the source of the screaming. And as they get closer to it and they open the doors, they can see through a crack in some other doors across the hall uh, where their father's corpse is that their mother is just screaming in agony, just screaming, pacing back and forth across the room in and out of the crack of the in the doors and just wailing her eyes out. And getting to see that, getting to see the authenticity of grief and how people, how she specifically is that deeply affected by his passing, how privately she feels like that's the only way she can express herself. Uh, it's, I, it's just something you don't see. You do not see. It's so unexpected. You think somebody's like being killed out there when Alexander first awakes to it. And it kind of it is in a sense. That's what's happening. But I do want to stress because you kind of didn't know exactly how she's screaming, which I think is so important to it because it throws you off. She almost screams as if she's every couple seconds like an alarm or something. So it's like and I'm not going to it's late at night and I don't want to annoy people. So I'm not going to like do it to the fullest degree. But it's like, oh, it's it's, it's blood curdling. It's like an alarm. It's like a car alarm from human yeah. screams. I, again, I'm not doing it to that degree. All right. What was your second like on the outline? It's not a, a clip or a picture. It's actual words. What are the words, Sean? What did I write? You wrote daddy issues. That can mean a, a litany of things. <laughs> it can mean a lot of things. What does that mean? What that really means is, and actually this transitions very well from the point you were making just now. I really liked Oscar in this movie, both the actor, the character, how he's performed, how he's showcased throughout the movie. I think the strongest scenes, for the most part, involved him. I'm not going to go over the scenes you just talked about. They were fantastic, as you mentioned. There's also going to the craft that I was talking about earlier and also the the joke I was making about the plot. So while not super consistent, every once in a while, Oscar, after he dies, comes back in like this ghost figure to Alexander or also to his mother, too. Yeah, not super often, but it happens. But the very first More time that's an episode. This, yeah. But the very first time this happens, he's correct me if I'm wrong. He's like at a piano. Yes. And there's this really uh, surreal shot where he is in such sharp focus, but everything around him, I don't even want to say is out of focus. It just has this very hazy, blurry feeling mm-hmm. to it that's just so unnerving. A lot of it has to do with the lighting. He's it's, yeah. it's nighttime when they first see him. The kids there, they woke up hearing the sound of, the, of someone playing the piano. They go and they see their, the ghost of their father playing the piano. 
And he's like the only thing that's illuminated and he is barely lit. But I think he's lit just enough to where uh, Sven Nikvist was able to get precise focus on him while simultaneously keeping everything else blurry. And you're right. It's very it was, surreal. It it's very crazy. haunting. He doesn't yeah, exactly. say anything. He just plays the piano in very, uh, very spaced out notes with very yeah, spaced exactly. out high notes. And it's just like, I never knew what the proper shot to shoot a quote unquote ghost is, but that is the shot. That's how you do it in such a haunting, unnerving kind of way. But that's not even ultimately my point. It's like I was saying that Oscar as a character, because there are so many great scenes, like I was talking about before, where he his speech to the actors in the beginning of the movie I just absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. Again, I loved how it was shot. I loved how he performed it. Folks, for context, this is a speech that uh, discusses the importance of of kind of escapism, of, of the little world that the theater is capable of creating, that exactly. people can come in there and relax and enjoy themselves and get away from the big world, the, uh, the, the thieves or the thieves in the dark, yes. I think is... And like what I'm about to say, I don't want to diminish the impact of all the other actors. All the other actors were fantastic, but he stood out in such a way just because his character is essentially the father figure that you kind of look up to, that you have this strong reminiscence for, like this great, great love and, you know, looking up to and wanting to aspire to be like. And the actor manages to achieve that for both the characters as well as you, yourself, the audience member, right? So it's something where when all the other characters are, even though super well played, kind of despicable in their own ways or, you know, human in their own ways. This is a character that is almost above all that, in a sense. You know, we only see him for the most part in a very positive, larger than life light, right? So because of that, almost every speech he has, and also the fact that his mustache is so perfectly groomed <laughs> that he just is so enchanting when he's on the screen, you know? And the reason why I bring up that mustache is there's a lot of, again, like extreme close-ups, so you really notice it. It's really noticeable, right? Mm-hmm. Very clearly not the color of the hair on his head. Regardless. Um, but there was one scene in particular, and Yanni, I think you know I want to talk about before I even get to it, where Alexander is showcasing his love for storytelling by um, he's using a magic lantern to like tell a story, right? You know, he's telling a story to his kid, the other kids before, even though they're supposed to be in bed. His mother hears and is like, yo, you guys are supposed to be in bed, right? Father comes in and instead of like scolding them or anything, he he gets a chair. He, he what he he picks up a chair. Yeah. he So instead of scolding them, he picks up a chair. This is a random chair in the background. It's scuffed up. It's dirty. It's nothing special. And this motherfucker manages to tell the most enchanting story about how this is the most important chair of all time. You know, it's like a, from like ancient Chinese. Um, it's 3000 years old. A Chinese empress once sat on it. She died in it. Uh, she was buried uh, with the chair and then thieves came into her tomb uh, took her from it. She turned to dust as soon as they took the chair out from underneath them, underneath her. And it was handed over. For, it changed hands over and over again until it somehow came into the hands of the Ekdal family in Uppsala, Sweden. And uh, yeah, that that's, and that's you know, what he says, basically. Keep going. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's all BS. 
But the way he tells it, you believe it, you buy it, and you want to hear some more because he's a natural storyteller. And that was just incredible. It really was incredible. Mm-hmm. And, I agree yeah. that. Alan Edval is the name of the actor. He's in a number of Bergman's other films, and he has, he probably, I'd say he has some of the best monologues in, in each of them. Uh, I don't know if I'll pick this film because you might actually wind up liking it, but I would recommend to anyone who has seen this or plans on seeing it and agrees afterwards that a um, man who's playing Oscar, Alan Edval, is very talented. Go out and watch The Silence. Go out and watch um, The Virgin Spring because his monologuing ability is par to none. And Bergman knew that. Bergman, by the way, just spectacular at filming monologues. And for the most part, that's because he just doesn't do anything with the camera. He puts the camera on the actor. He directs them and he just lets them go at it. And for the most part, every monologue that you will see written by and directed by him will just knock you off your feet. It's it's a deeply personal or a deeply affecting, inspiring or <laughs> downright depressing in many cases expression, a rhapsody of human and emotion. And this in in this case it's more celebratory. It it uh it showcases like the the endless capability of storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. As a way of like inspiring us and kind of changing, altering our perception on reality and, and what we see is real and what we see is possible. Uh, that's how I interpreted that scene. It, I it love is it. Interesting. I know this is not my point, but going off of what you're saying, near the end of the movie, the rabbi has another monologue that's more of like it's a not terrible. A rabbi. <laughs> Isaac Jacoby just... He owns yeah. an antique store. He's just Jewish. Oh, he's, he's just not Jewish. a rabbi. He's just—he's not a rabbi. My, my bad. No one calls him a rabbi. He just looks like a I rabbi. Thought, no, I could have—I could have sworn they said he had some religious affiliation. I could have sworn they said that. Well, he's a—I'd say he's a mystic at the very least. He definitely okay. does some sort of conjuration. My bad. My mistake. I apologize. Anyways, as an actor, he's fantastic. He was incredible. But kind of like a contrast to that speech that's very hopeful. There was a monologue he had that was you know, a bit pessimistic, but also enthralling nonetheless. Yeah, that's actually one of my I'll I'll go over. I'll skip my number two and go directly to what was my number three. And uh, my number three was actually story time with Uncle Isaac and the show stopping presence of Erlen Josephson, uh, the actor who plays Uncle Isaac, Isaac Jacoby. Uh, is a frequent collab was a frequent collaborator of Ingmar Bergman's. He's I don't know how many of his films he started. It might have been over ten, uh, but actor was named Erlen Josephson, and he is spectacular. I have not seen him in any in 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 any character in any film where I wasn't just enthralled by his performance. And he's not a major character in this film at all. I mean, he's there from the very beginning. He's in each episode. We understand that he's a very close friend of the family's matriarch. He has been for years now. He's also, I think, her her lover right now and has been in the past. But he's a part of the family. All the members of the Ekdal family, they refer to him as Uncle Isaac. He's very close with them. And he's also responsible, like I'd said earlier, for saving the kids, for getting them out of the uh, out of the house. But once he gets them out of the bishop's house, he takes them to his antique shop, which isn't just that. It's also like a puppet theater and it's got all sorts of other. uh, Oh, man, what do they call them? Curiosities, I guess, is something they might have called them in the early 1900s. But he takes them there and he sends them to bed. And before he sends them to bed, they ask him if he can stay. And he reads them a story from a book. And it's this story 
that you could interpret as being pessimistic or you could interpret, I think, as just being the the way life like naturally worked out. Uh, basically, the story is about a young man who is on a journey. He doesn't know where to, and he's on the journey for so long that he forgets his own name, and he forgets why he left and where he's going. At some point, he uh, comes to a camp. He meets an old man by a pool, and the old man tells him that the pool is uh, fed by a stream that comes down from a mountain above which there hangs this cloud that is uh, created by the hopes, the ambitions, the, the the wanderings of all these other people who'd been wandering a, a path similar to the boy. And he gives the boy an option. He can either come with him, the, the old man, into the forest and pursue the stream, or he can remain on this path towards uncertainty. And he, the boy elects to go with the with the old man. And, uh, you know, you can really there's a lot to interpret there. So I don't think I'm going to go what? into it. Exactly. I can't interpret, though, is that you definitely did that story justice. You definitely didn't like shit on it by. Telling OK, me bridge. I'm trying to version what I'm trying to say is not even didn't even hold a candle. Yeah. No, folks, go look it up. Go look up Uncle Isaac's monologue. It, it's amazing. It's one of the best. It might be one of the best performances you'll see by an actor. Uh, and why it is that specifically is that he begins reading from the book, Uncle Isaac. He begins reading from this book and he tells the kids he has to translate. I imagine he's reading it in Hebrew or Yiddish, maybe. Uh, but as he's reading, his eyes eventually fall away from the page and he just starts staring off. He does like a 10,000 yard stare. But he continues quoting exactly what is in the book. And he continues doing that for something like three or four minutes nonstop. There's one cut away from his face. And it's to, I think it's to some sort of uh, vision that Alexander has while he's listening to the story. But otherwise, camera stays on his face the entire time for the entire take. And he nails it. He's He's got this very haunted, very stoic look in his eyes. You can see... This story means something. It, it's definitely reverberated across the very bowels of his soul for decades and decades. He he barely even blinks while he's telling it too. It's his performance. I mean, total runtime. He's probably in this film less than forty five minutes. But this just stopped everything hours. for me. Of a five hour film, this one scene just stopped me the first time I saw it. I had to pause afterwards to take in everything I had just seen because it was that jaw-droppingly impressive. So that is my second like. If you haven't seen it, folks, go out and see it. Maybe you kind of need the context for it. He's a Jew growing up in a mostly Christian society in Not the beginning rabbi, of the 20th the century. Not a rabbi. Subject to a lot of, uh, a lot of I imagine, self-doubt. A lot of um racism uh yeah a lot of anti-semitism a lot of anti-semitism that you witness you see at some point there's a very specific scene where they just basically kick him out and say he's untrustworthy you know he just takes it yeah and he just takes it and it's it's just (laughs) i don't know if this is an actual story somewhere in the annals of, of hebrew literature or or yiddish literature or whatever language he was supposed to have been translating it from uh but if it's not good god ingmar bergman is an even better writer than i could have possibly imagined in addition to erlen josephson being yeah, an absolute gift upon this earth all right sean yeah no i have nothing to add to it it was great um Nani, do you want to read my next point my next like <clears throat> the chess game and the poker i'm sorry what 
What do you think that means? When is there a when is there a chess game? I I mean poker. Carl I think Carl is maybe sitting at a poker table with the guys that he's singing with at the beginning of the film, but I have no idea. What does that mean? All right. So, what I originally do you wrote even know? What I was originally going to write with that was the the chess game with the bishop. Does that But I didn't want to give you too much of a hint. Does that make any more sense to you? Okay, yeah, it makes sense. It's See, that's not why I didn't write it. That's why I didn't it write it. So basically, folks, episode one, as great as it is, is really just like prologue. It is all just set up, right? Episode two is where shit starts to hit the fan, but still kind of honestly to a degree setting up what the characters have to go through. It's not to, till episode three in which dad dies, mom remarries to the bishop. Kids have to live in the bishop's new home with very that strict, harsh conditions two. that they really get pushed to limits and they find out who they really are and all that jazz, right? And there's a scene in particular where Alexander is talking to one of the maids and a little bit of backstory. Um, the bishop had a wife previously, but she and her two daughters had drowned in like the river river nearby. And Alexander made up this story as to basically telling this maid that it was the bishop's doing to a degree that he had locked them up in the attic and they were escaping. Right. And this kind of goes to what we were talking about earlier with this idea of storytelling, because like you were saying, this is kind of uh, self autobiographical to a degree. So it's just like, is a character learning how to tell stories to weave stories in this case, this case it's kind of like weaving stories and a lie to a degree. But anyways, he does that. And then what I am wondering, or at least I, how I interpret it is like, this is from when he tells that story to what happens as a result, it's more or less a game of chess between him and the Bishop or poker, you know, where it's just like, Here's what I'll say is the events of what happens. He, Alexander, tells a story. Maid goes to, is so horrified that she goes to the bishop, tattles on him. Bishop is so upset. He wakes Fanny and Alexander up, brings them to the quarters. Everyone there besides the mother who is out of town at the time. She's on a trip visiting relatives and doing other stuff, right? And Bishop, and this is alluded to in another scene where they talk about lying versus telling the truth. But Bishop is like, Alexander, confess, you know, say that you lied. He refuses to. They have a back and forth, you know, and eventually Alexander does confess to lying. Not sympathetic about it. He's just like, like, yeah, I lied. And then the bishop asks, um, like, okay, well, now you got to get punished. How do you want to get punished? Do you want to get like flogged? Do you want to get locked in a crate or something? And Alexander chooses to get flogged. I'm explaining it very boringly just because this is a a lot of cause and result. So you need need to explain more or less everything that happens, right? Watching the tit-to-tat between the two and kind of the game of what is going on. I'm partial to that inherently, but I think it was just so fascinating and so brilliant. And the only time in this five hours that I wasn't checking the time that I wasn't like, I was so deeply invested into it (laughs) and it was great. And I I don't know for me, how I interpret it. This is one of the few times that I care about how I interpret something 
is that Alexander knew the whole time what he was doing, and that he wanted to get flogged because that's the only thing that would show his mother. That's the only thing of those three options. That's the only one that's going to show a scar, right? That's the only mm-hmm. one that is going to really have, you know, the this, you know, shock value to it. So he tricked the bishop thinking, oh, I'm going to, I'm teaching this kid a lesson where the bishop doesn't even know he fucked up, you know? He doesn't even know how, oh, I thought I won. I, how I, I, I outsmarted this kid by getting him to confess about the lie and, you know, teaching him a lesson where he doesn't even realize. Alexander is on a whole nother level. Alexander bested him. And I'm like, oh, that is so smart. But just the back and forth between that whole scene and really like, and honestly, until the kids escape in the trunk and everything that, um, Isaac, Isaac later rescues them by trapping them or bringing them out of the trunk and everything. That, like, I'd say 45 minute chunk, easily my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy that. I enjoy that, that part a lot too. I don't really know. I mean, I, I like your theory about Alexander being aware of it and, and choosing it <clears throat> purposefully so he can show his mother exactly. He has some sort of like physical evidence of what uh, the bishop had done to him. I don't know. I'd have to go back and watch it because I'm not entirely sure um, the evidence, the proof. I'm not sure exactly that the proof is there. Um, oh, I mean, also it's, like it's narratively, that- it doesn't have a lot of consequence. You know, for instance, you know how much she hates the bishop, bishop and how much she wants to leave. Well, you don't know that till after. No, you know that while while this is going on because well, sure, she visits while it's going on. She visits, but you don't know it till like she visits her mother-in-law and she says, "Quote, I hate him so violently." But that is after he chooses the flogging. Okay, but still there's no way she could have known because she was at this summer house on the coast. No, I I get that. I'm just saying there's a moment where the, the bishop, I can't remember where it is. It's like around here a little bit after where the bishop is just like Alexander is far smarter than I realized. Like he's really bright, you know, mm-hmm. and that's why I suspect. And it's also not to get into some other stuff too much, but it's just like I'm playing D&D right now. I'm playing a con artist who's kind of lying similar to what Alexander does. And I'm like, you got to be to do this kind of stuff, to tell these kinds of lies. You got to be like three steps ahead of the game. You know, I'm like, I see you. I see what you're doing. I don't know. That's how I interpret it. That's how I like to think about it. I thought it was cool. I think it. I think you could be right. I would just have to, I don't know, before agreeing, I would have to go back and watch it. I don't scene care again what you think. I- well, you know what? what I was trying to give you a compliment, but you know what? Never mind. Never mind. I don't compliment you. My last like, uh, I'll keep this one short. And that was, uh, it's kind of similar to what you're talking about. It's the back and forth. It's the cause and effect. But I think it's the just the central theme of the story and the way that we see these two different sides of kind of the same idea expressed and then clashing. And that is the Ekdal side and the Vergeris side. Ekdals are the family that Alexander belongs to. The Vergerises are the bishop's family. Uh, the bishop and then his mother and his sister. And it's that... And his aunt, who looked like Lutz. Oh, sorry. His... <laughs> she does look like Lutz. Pretty <laughs> <Did he> rock. <laughs> she does. Her, his aunt, Elsa, who's morbidly obese, uh, confined uh, invalid, and also, yes, looks like Lutz from 30 Rock. <laughs> but what we get is this uh, juxtaposition of the austerity of uh, of faith, of like this sort of theistic living, and the exuberance, the other end of the spectrum. 
You have this family that, while it does have people who are like verbally abusive and have extramarital relationships, uh, cheat on their wives, you still get this sense that what they do, the creativity they express, in particular in the theater, um, with Oscar running the theater, his wife also beside him, you get the sense that while they acknowledge the fact that they are not perfect, that they are heavily flawed people, they still have this sort of foundational love, this this concept of love that they feel that they express very openly to one another that the Vergerdeses also claim to have, but they choose to express uh, through austerity and through discipline and through, um, you know, uh, remaining loyal to one's duties and, and one's family and all of that. And so you get these very different definitions of what love is. I think it's pretty clear in Bergman's mind uh, which form of love he preferred and which one he thought was more conducive to the imaginative mind and just, yeah, 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 the bishop, very clearly. (laughs) Because two people from that family definitely aren't killed in the same night. They're not wiped off the face of the earth. Well, yeah, that's, that's how it ends, right? Like, just, you know, take a body count. You have two living Vergaruses at the end, and then you well, have also two, to, not just uh, almost all of the Ekdals, but you also have two newborn Ekdals on top of it. Yeah, I was going to say, like, which is the prosperous that side. you're making is the epilogue, which is a very strong counterpoint to, I guess, their philosophies. I screenshotted a little bit of... um God, remind me of his name again. Sorry. Which one? The the man performing the monologue? Yes, Gustav, right? Gustav Adolf. Gustav Adolf. I, I, I screenshotted two lines of dialogue, he, he said. He said, um, let us be kind, generous, affectionate, and good. And he's also said later, therefore, let us be happy while we are happy. And it's just, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the, the bishop and, you know, I'm not going to get into it right now because I don't want to because we have other things to talk about, but like, that that religious um, repression is something that is just like it really bothers me, you know, really gets at my core. And I'm well, like, that's the that's that's the issue. And that's honestly that's I think where the biggest autobiographical aspect of this film comes into play is that Bergman. I'm telling you, I'm Alexander <laughs> Bergman, like Alexander, felt himself feeling very. Um, indignant towards his faith and very resentful of it and very nearly at some point pronounced himself an atheist because of the relationship he had with his father, because of how harsh, how strict his father was with him, like the bishop was with Alexander. And it wasn't only until later years after his father had passed away that he was able to see that that um, that that rankle. arose mostly because he was because of the way he was brought up that he only had those beliefs because he had been seeing it from the wrong end and you know Ekdal's again not perfect and even hypocritical to an extent uh but they live they they uh they practice as they preach they are outgoing they're kind to to strangers to one another for the most part excluding Carl uh generous their servants though not well, I don't know. They treat their servants pretty well to the point where the servants at the very beginning of the Christmas dinner are like, this feels really awkward. Why are we eating dinner with these people? We should I be serving bad them. for the servants in the beginning. Yeah, but the, the grandmother was like really like um, harsh with them in the beginning. I know that was one instance, you know, that was but- one instance. She was really I mean, may my who winds up having uh, Gustav Adolf's okay. child? I guess to be fair, is treated like she's bishops. brought into the family. Yes, better than the way better treatment. 
but still, I was just like, you know, I never want to have a servant just because, or at least a maid well, to that you're degree. you're never going to be able to afford one. Yeah, so sure. So don't worry about it. I'm just saying. But uh, I guess the best way to summarize it um, is that the the family is where, in this film anyways, the family is where characters see the evidence of of some sort of like divine influence of of their god and like the theater like this idea of the little world the family represents this respite you know from the harshness of quote the den of thieves that uh gustav gustav adolf refers to as in his monologue at the very end it, the family the is new title of our podcast den of thieves den of thieves yeah sounds cool right? um no, Den of Thief. I don't know what you would be. You'd be like the thief's dog. Why would you want to be a thief? I would think you'd be like, oh, I'm an honest man. Well, I may not be stealing things, but I am taking them if you get my drift. What is that supposed to mean? No, I don't get your drift. No, don't worry about Clarify. it. No, we're not going to get into explain. it. No. Explain that. So, Sean, what were your dislikes? <laughs> Folks, before I get into my dislikes, I just want to say real quick, it's late. I'm trying to be as quiet as possible. So I might not get as into it as I normally would. But let me tell you, there were a couple yelling jokes I had in here that would have gone for the yells. But I can't do that right now. You're just going to have to be like, going to just have to be like Christopher Lloyd at the end of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, not animated. Yeah, thank you for that. That joke doesn't really work because he winds up up being a tune because he has the eyes. That kind of works. Yeah, that that joke works like my plot summary in the beginning. Okay, like um, you have to be like uh, the the cast of SpongeBob SquarePants at the end of SpongeBob SquarePants movie to Sponge Out of Water, not animated. But no CGI. I, they're not. They're they're. It's not. I mean, it's 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 CGI. It's kind of animation, but it also isn't because they're supposed to be real. I don't know. Well, let's just keep. Did going. you think when Ingmar Bergman died? That he thought, you know, when people discuss Fanny and Alexander, they're also going to be discussing SpongeBob in the same sentence. Mm, he probably anticipated it. I'm pretty sure he didn't pass away until like 2006. And the SpongeBob SquarePants film came out in 2004. So there's a good chance it's not. It's within the realm of possibilities. <laughs> it was like, oh. These go together. And also, this is not in my likes or dislikes, but a note that I wrote. There's a lot of farting in the beginning of this movie. And I just wish that Passion like of that. Anna had more farting. I think that would have made it a better movie. Just more fart jokes. Yeah. Well, you know, he, he he's never... Ingmar Bergman does understand that he has to uh, appeal to the common man like yourself. So there's a little blue thrown in there. Thanks. Anyway, number number one dislike... I think we share this one. Fanny, <laughs> I barely knew her. Fanny, I don't see no Fanny here. Who's Fanny? Do you know that the, the word Fanny in uh, in Britain actually means vagina and not rear end? I thought it meant butt. Does it mean butt here? Well, it does. It does here. Over there, it means vagina. Oh. Might be just Scotland. I don't know. A Scottish person told me that. Well, and I've actually seen Scottish television and they use fanny to refer specifically to a vagina. So maybe it's just Scotland. I don't know. Let's just go Listen, British eyes. Regardless, as you were saying in the beginning, and as I definitely felt as well, this movie is called Fanny and Alexander. You go in expecting. And it's definitely about one person. <laughs> yeah, a movie about Fanny and Alexander. And you know who this movie is not about? Fanny. I don't know what happened no. with Fanny. I don't know what her storyline was. 
I don't know how she changed as a person. She's, she's just, just one of the kids. in the background the entire time. And occasionally she says some words. I, I don't know what to say. Yeah. It's- OK, so I yes, this irritated me to. OK, you I have a theory about it. OK, I was just going to say that I think there are some better titles for this movie that are more apropos. Title number one, Ghost Dad. Because <laughs> that is a ghost that comes back. <laughs> well, you know you, you, know you would I see mean, that movie. Big Bill's in prison now, so or is he? Was he? I don't know. Is he was definitely tried guilty, found guilty. I just don't know. Is he in prison? <laughs> I, Bill Cosby probably won't be coming after you for that one. You don't have to worry. <laughs> Number two title. This is more had to do with the mother, Black Widow, because. Both of her husbands die because <laughs> two of her husbands die in the space of two years. OK, but she definitely didn't cause the first death. So and this or the second one, she just, you know, drugged him. Well, in a way she did. But number oh, two, she number, didn't cause the bishop's death. She didn't cause it, but she didn't intentionally cause it. But she didn't cause it at all. I mean, if the aunt had hopped on him either way, there's a good chance he was going to burn to death. She's she's a sure. giant flaming. She's basically a giant human candle. She's With a giant flame and Lutz. I get it. But anyways, <laughs> third title. <laughs> Ghost Dad and Black Widow. Eh, no, that wasn't. You could have done better. I already said the joke. That's yeah, all my so titles. Oh, repeating it made it funny. Okay, can I get into my theory about why it's Fanny and Alexander? Sure. Okay, so I agree. I think it is so weird that this film, both the the extended director's cut and the the theatrical, are is named Fanny and Alexander because typically, like you know, in the case of Thelma and Louise, you expect to be getting a pretty equal division of protagonist and narrative time assigned to t- those protagonists throughout the film, right? Yeah, and there is nothing there for Fanny. Fanny is a tertiary player. At best, uh, according to the narrative. She's like seventh on the call sheet. Yeah, we understand a lot more about the mom, the bishop, uh, <laughs> uh, both of his uncles, his grandmother, Uncle Isaac, uh, Ishmael at the very end. Then we do about Fanny. There is no interiority to her character. And that bugs me. It's honestly so easy of a fix as change the title of the film to something else that does not include Fanny. Ghost However, that. in... <laughs> In uh, ruminating on this and maybe trying to seek out some sort of justification for why Bergman decided to call it Fanny and Alexander, I formed a theory. Can't wait to hear. So a part of the film, a big and this is it's kind of a stretch, but a huge theme in the film obviously is the theater, correct? Sure. Yes, it's the theater. Plays, performance, actors, wearing masks, so on and so forth. Uh, you have this idea of this very performative aspect to the film, to the lives of the individual characters. Every they, Everyone seems like they're embroiled in some sort of drama or comedy, like Gustav Adolf, for instance, having the affair with Mai and having a kid and she him giving her a cafe that she doesn't want, despite her always like despite her acknowledging how kind he is and crying about it because she can't like that's there's something humorous in that oh it's also humorous that he has sex with her prematurely ejaculates right away so and then goes in for round two almost immediately this man is a stud but then it's just like as a result of this it's just like ostensibly 20 years like a consequence of what of that one night you know (laughs) 
Or that one little Well, thing. no, I don't think he impregnates her until well after that one oh, night. Oh, okay. Because she's pregnant it. at the same time but as... the cafes. The cafe. The cafe thing, yes. It's it's humorous. Um, but again, I don't need to keep going on examples of why the theater is so integral to this plot. But in the theater, you have your primary characters and you have your secondary characters. Yes, you have, obviously, you have your Hamlets, and then you also have uh, the Gravediggers, correct. But they're all a part of one single piece, right? They all form the entire narrative. They're, they're stitched together. Yes, the protagonist is more important, ultimately, in, in a thematic and a narrative sense than all of these tertiary characters. But the tertiary characters still play an important role in some way, shape or form, no matter like how insignificant they might be. They're still a part of the story. And so by naming it the film Fanny and Alexander instead of just Alexander, I think it harkens to the fact or to the reality of the little world of of the theater, that sort of theater we all inhabit in our daily lives. We we are our protagonists, but we're also like those smaller secondary characters who are around us. They still play a part in our narrative. And so we can't to some degree, we can't really discredit their existence or discredit their importance even though they don't really contribute much to our lives. That's, again, very thin. That's the only thing I could really think of. Maybe if I sat down uh, and put a little more brain power to it, I could come up with something else, but that's all I got. Uh, I still think Ghost Dad is a better title. I think another title that could work as Blind Boy, going off of that parable that we talked about earlier, Blind Boy, because it's the parable, but also you could say Alexander, blind in a sense, metaphor there somewhere. Blind Boy and Ghost Dad, that's my title. Well, what about um, Ernest Part 4? Or what is that other Bill Cosby film? And I do stress film. Oh, uh, like they should have just called six? it Leonard. Leonard Part, Leonard part 4. Six. Or Part 4? No, part I thought four? it was Part 4. I can't I think remember. it's Part 4. Or we can just call it The Cosby Show. Honestly, <laughs> that would have been a little more daring. He should have just called this The Cosby Show. <laughs> Imagine if they did that. <laughs> Back in <laughs> 1982. Called The Cosby Show. Wait, was the, wait, was... Hold on. I need to... You get to your number three. I need to see if The Cosby <laughs> Show was two, around in 1982. It'd be funny if it called The Cosby Show... But they changed nothing about this movie. It was not absolutely they nothing. No, nothing there is it. no Cosby. You've got a big family, uh, a guy having extramarital affairs. Before I get into my number two, I did want to ask you a question because you briefly brought this up. I think we talked about this in one episode, but I can't remember. But sometimes I find who you're attracted to to be a little odd. For example, you have a big crush for Mia Goth. Vice versa, buddy. So when you were when you saw Ishmael, were you like, ooh, oh boy, feel a little attraction? The joke Sean is making is that the male character Ishmael in this film is per- per- portrayed by a woman. And yeah, uh, but it's like no eyebrows. You know what, Sean? Like no eyebrows. Like for a second, God. I did think, you know what? If she with her hair grown out and with some eyebrows, this actress would probably be pretty pretty attractive. No, you gotta continue with so, the no eyebrow thing. That's a, that's, n- that's no. a hard and fast. Look, it works for Mia. I don't know what to tell you. Because you're just you're specifically Mia Suspiria. You're specific yeah. on that. Yes. Or Nymphomania. Nymphomaniac. Oh my god, you're fucking a weirdo. But we all know what that's about. Yeah, we all know. You better not pick that movie, by the way. Thank God you didn't pick that when I was with my dad. Oh, that would have been perfect. It was two parts. Technically, it was supposed to be one film over three hours. Dang, missed opportunity. 
That's really cool. big missed opportunity there. It'll come up someday. Here I'm I sure. am giving you ideas. All right. Second point. You're never going to guess what I meant by this, but just tell the listeners what I, I, I put on there on the outline. Um, this is a screenshot from, I presume, because I've never seen it, so I have to presume, uh, the notebook <laughs> of what looks like that Canadian woman saying, I waited for you for seven years. Oh, no, that's 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 what the that's what the other Canadian says. The young goose says, I waited for you for seven years. No, that's what Rachel McAdams says that. I have no. OK, I've never seen. I'm sorry, folks. I've never seen the notebook. Folks, if you if you've seen the notebook, there's this this intense exchange between the two and i'm giving a little spoiling a little bit and this is where i really wanted to scream and now cannot but there was just like i wrote you i wrote you every day i waited for you for seven years and just like an extreme yelling specifically about time periods and how long they had to wait and that's how i felt about wanting to yell about this movie i watched this movie for five fucking hours because even though it sounded like I praised the movie a lot before, which I did, there's a lot to talk about that's solid about this movie. At the same time, it's five goddamn hours. <laughs> it is so fucking long. And as brilliant as what I was saying before about the filmmaking in the first part, in the first hour and a half, scenes by themselves are brilliant. Stitched together as a whole is difficult. It is boring is not the right word. But it's just a slog to get through because there's besides essentially this happens over the course of a night, but there's a lot of characters, a lot of things that are being introduced. So there's not besides the fact that it's one night, there's not a ton of a through line and it's just difficult. It's difficult to sit and watch even when it's good. Now, later on, like I said, in the third part, when things kind of like get um, more solidified and, you know, obviously we're not bouncing around between things and things get more heated. I like that a lot. And as Yanni was talking about, certain parts in part two were really strong. But it's just, I just don't know if it, uh, if five it hours is long. just so fucking long, man. I just don't, I don't know if there was anything, even like the best of Bollywood movies. If something was five fucking hours, I think I would criticize it. I don't think it needs to be five hours. I don't think there's, yes, there's a lot of interesting points here and there, but like, does that necessarily contribute to the whole? Does that need to be there? Or is it just a side point? I think there's plenty of side points that are interesting that I'm like, listen, we could lose that. I bet you the three hour cut is just fine. I didn't watch it. Uh, I think I bet you it's just fucking fine. You know, you just cut all the, cut out all the fanny and then you save like 15 minutes. And then, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, listen, it's not like there's any scene that I could point to that I'm like, man, this is bad, man, this really needs to be cut. It's just almost by its nature, it's inherently long. And unless you did something drastically different, I don't know. I just I just don't know, man. I don't know how you would cut it. And I know you'd have I'm, to strip it of its essence. You'd have to take away sure. <laughs> Ingmar yeah. Bergman's style to cut it down. But yeah. I'll and give you that. It's just honestly watching this first and then watching the theatrical cut 
after the fact, I felt like I was missing so much information that felt necessary. Like, for instance, here's something that might break your heart. Jacoby's story, not in the theatrical cut. Not the most necessary yeah, thing, sense. I understand, but it's one of the best scenes in the whole film, and it doesn't make it in because it, it, isn't, it isn't totally necessary to the plot. But It's like M. Night Shyamalan once said, sometimes you gotta kill your darlings. For the sixth sense, he had an idea of an ending that he wanted to do, and he's just like, I had to cut my favorite scene for The Sixth Sense in order to make it a better movie. And, you know, then he made a movie that was nominated for Oscars. And uh, Bruce Willis seven said, wow, he came up with the I Bruce can make Willis a good twist. movie besides Die Hard. M. Night, you've, you've, fallen. you've fallen from my graces. I haven't seen old, but I'm not going to. Oh, I have no interest whatsoever. You know, Hey, pe- spoiler alert, they get old. People should say, like, when people... You know, the quote in The Sixth Sense is, I see dead people. It should just be like one, like as a meme, I see dead people. And then the other frame is the rest of M. Night Shyamalan's career and all the other movies he's made (laughs) afterwards. (laughs) Well, okay, so your second point kind of ties, kind of ties into my second one. And that's uh, it's Carl. It's the it's the it's the Uncle Carl. Um, he's verbally abusive the whole time to his wife, who's otherwise a very sweet and loving person. And then ultimately, in like the fourth act, I think it is ultimately in the fourth act, we have that reversal that Sean Hatt was referring to earlier on in this episode. But other than that, and don't get me wrong, in the first part, there is a wonderfully acted scene with Carl and his wife after the night's festivities had ended. And he's basically just talking about how much he hates himself and how he's just self-pitying the entire time. And you'd think, okay, I don't want to watch somebody do that for like 10 minutes, but it's fantastic acting and great writing. And it kind of, it just cuts you to the core There's this one line he has where he says, um, how does one become mediocre or something like that? By doing this podcast. And it it cuts you to your heart. It cuts you to to the very thick of your heart because you realize you once had aspirations and more than likely you have not and will not meet them. And in a sense, according to that original dream, you are mediocre. Uh, It's something that is very, (laughs) it's a very sympathetic scene. That being said, everything Carl does uh, is just grating, hard to watch, with exception to this one conversation he has with his brother and the bishop after the which kids have been great. stolen. They're trying to get Emily scene. back, which is great. But I don't think you need to see him being such a you didn't need to see him being such a dirtbag leading up to that because we don't really see him change as a character. We There is really no arc. And I'm not saying characters need arcs, but when you have such a polarly negative person, I feel like something has to happen to them. Either they cannot be helped or they are. And we only get a very faint sort of allusion to that possibility. And I just felt like, okay, this, we either needed just a little bit more or not nothing at all. And that's, you know, my biggest grief, my biggest grief with the film after the Fanny thing, the Fanny in the title is Carl. It's just, you know, I have no idea what, where Carl was going. I folks, I can't believe I'm about to do this. I swear to God, I never thought this would happen for fuck's sake. This is a counter to everything I wanted to ever do on this podcast. 
I can't believe I'm about to take one of Yanni's movies that he picked, that he likes, that he did despite me, and take something that he thought was a nig and actually say it was something that I liked in the movie. I can't believe I'm about to fucking do this. <laughs> I can't believe it. I knew you would do this. I knew you would do this. I told myself, no, this is actually something Sean's going to like. I just know it because he loves seeing shitty people be shitty. He just loves it. Well, listen, I like shitty people being shitty when it condemns them to a degree or it it depends. I feel like it's a fine line. We've talked about this in numerous other movies, so I'm not going to get into that discussion because that's not why I like Carl. I It's the whole flatulence thing. Let me rephrase that. I don't like him as a person. I think you're, you're right. You identify shitty. with him. It's just, I think it's a testament to the characterization and the nuance of the filmmaking and the characters and how it's written because two thirds of the movie, we see him in his personal life with his family and with his wife. And we see how miserable he is, how shitty it is, how sad he is, how he's hit. He is flirt. Like there's one scene he's sitting at the table with with his niece, entire family. Yeah. He's flirting with his niece of all people. And it's gross and it's disgusting. And yet when we get to the scene with the bishop where they are having a negotiation, he is extremely well composed. He's very intelligent, very smart. He's playing the game. It's like, again, like a chess match between the two where they are going at each other, but very carefully, but very smartly. And it's something that's so unexpected because you like you think this guy's a slobbering mess. He can't possibly hold a conversation. It just shows like how someone could be so, so smart and so clever and, you know, these other areas and just be such a disaster in their own personal life and how you can examine people like in the world around you in that kind of sense. You know, you go to work and you're like, okay, they're good in this, but how are they like in reality? And it's something that a lot of movies, if they did that contrast, I would not believe. I would not buy it. I would say that's a little too much for me to buy. But this movie, because of how it was written and because of the performance, sold it. Like I didn't even think for us, I wasn't taken out for a second. I 100% bought that this guy could have those, to quote what you're talking about earlier and quote from the movie and a little bit of a theme, different masks. One mask is just a sad sap who's abusive and mean and another mask. That is a competent intellectual. Is competent. Yeah, we know that he's and doesn't he's speak a, out a of university turn. Professor and knows what to say, when to say it, and is careful about his words, as opposed to his brother. I, I agree with that. I just suppose that I. So we have some sense of resolution to Adolf, uh, 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 Gustav Adolf's subplot at the end, right? He um, he goes off with his wife, and then Mai comes out with Petra, Gustav Adolf's oldest daughter. And they implore Emily to talk to Gustav and talk to their grandmother and see if there's some way they can get him to let her go. And we have a a sense that there's some sort of like finality down the road, whereas we don't really have any anything similar to that for Carl and his relationship with his wife. I think the finality is that it's never going to change. And I think that's the point. I think that's well, I would. Well, that's the thing is, I wish if I could have had one thing added in regards to Carl, it's that just one more scene towards the end because we spent so much time with him beforehand. He's it's not it's not Carl and Alexander. It's Fanny and Alexander. We don't we barely spend any time with I Fanny at all. Movie. I want Carl. But and we Alexander spend instead. 
but we spend at least 20 minutes with just Carl and his wife seeing their relationship, watching their dynamic, cringing about it being upset over it and nothing comes back at the very end. And I feel like if we had just had like one little scene like we had had with him and with Gustav and Alma before they went to bed as they were leaving the house or as they were leaving the apartment, I think they were in the in the summer home, actually, as they were leaving, that would have really tied things together for me. Otherwise, it just felt a little incomplete, but only from a storytelling perspective. I, I, I appreciate what he was doing with the character, I just feel like there was one little loose end that got snipped off. I didn't need it. I was I was okay without it. Well, you know, this isn't I respect your opinion after all. At the end of the day, Sean, what's the name of this podcast? It's um FK Sean your opinion at the podcast right opinion. at gmail.com. That's what I should change the title to. Sean always has the right opinion. Um, how's about Sean does a podcast alone? You think people will listen to it if it's called that? And if that's what they're getting out of it? You know, I think they'd be really surprised if it's Sean does a podcast alone, but you still show up. They would be like, (laughs) is he just really good at voices? Is he just talking to himself? I think you'd find you'd have miraculously even fewer listeners. And I don't use that word. I I use that word sparingly. Miraculously, Sean. Almost as miraculous as... Two children, the, the the vision of two children appearing unconscious on a floor in their room while simultaneously being in a box. I didn't get that. What, 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 what was going well, on Well, no, I, I, think, I think Uncle Isaac is a... Folks, I'm referring to how Uncle Isaac gets the kids out. He sneaks them into a trunk and then uh, you think for a moment that the bishop has him caught, but he says, no, they're upstairs or something. They're still, they're still up there. And then the bishop runs up after them, opens the door and... Emily is in there and what you you see, what you think are the kids, Fanny and Alexander, lying on the floor what in a state of what looks like unconsciousness. But no, it, it's confirmed that they were in the trunk the whole time and they're transported to Jaco- uh, Jacoby's house. It's explained by his nephew later on, Aaron, that Jacoby has these sort of like mystical abilities. He has almost these not magical, but sort of supernatural abilities and when he screams in that one shot after bishop runs upstairs and he falls to his knees and it the editing it does like that wide out from his face to the room i think that's the implication there is that he sort of generated that um that mirage so he's a bit of a wizard so you think the title of the movie should be changed to the whiz no he's he again he's not a main character so uh, it would have to be like the Lord of the Rings. How about because he's he's Gandalf? How about Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets? They're all wizards. No, it's more like um, the Hobbit. It's the Hobbit. The Hobbit. The we watched the Hobbit. Smog. <laughs> Just the first two, not the third one. We don't need to include the third one on this. I don't have a third dislike. Do you? I do. Um, do you want to? You want to tell our listeners what I put on there? Uh, this is a small digital poster for the um, second American revamp of Whose Line Is It Anyway? with uh, Colin Mockery, Ryan Stiles, and Wayne Brady. And uh, oh, what's her name? Aisha Tyler? No, is I that didn't. her name? No, I think I it's didn't. Aisha Tyler. I, it's, I, it, I, she's the voice of, um, of, uh, of what's her name on Archer? Lana? Lana. Lana. She does the voice of Lana. Movie. I haven't watched that show in years. It's because he says Lana. All the time. Lada! What? <laughs> Hi. I can hear it, too. Okay, what does this mean? I was going to ask you if you could interpret it, but you clearly have no idea what it means. 
Do you um, have kind, no idea who was speaking? No, I, I knew who was speaking. It's kind of going to uh, some of the points we were talking about earlier. For a movie that's called Fanny and Alexander, this movie is more like a novel. And movie and novels work very differently. In a novel, you have more passive characters who are observing the world. And we see things through their eyes. In a film, you want more active characters who are doing things within their world. And this film treats the main characters, Fanny and Alexander, more of that novelistic approach of we're going to have these characters, we're going to follow them, but they're not really doing much for the most part. Obviously, Fanny does almost nothing. Alexander he does stuff, but most of what the action that takes place and the consequences of his life and the world around him are a result of the adults in the room, are the bishop, his mother, Carl, Gustav, etc. He's not doing a whole lot for the most part. So it's just one of those things where if you're going to have that observational character, I mean, you inherently, inherently, I'm going to have some reservations about that. And you're going to have to really, really pull it off for me to be invested. And I honestly can't think of an example off the top of my head of, of of a time where I'm like, yeah, that worked. That's not to say it can't work and it doesn't work. I'm sure there's examples if I actually looked into it that I do like, but I I just have a real significant problem with that much like, you know, narration being a filmmaking technique that's a no-no. So I just that that bothered me throughout the movie and I think that's part of to my earlier point about the the hours. It's just like to be such a long movie and to not have a main character that has a strong through line in that sense. Obviously, Alexander has a through line, but not in as active of a sense. It's just frustrating to a degree. So that's not the that's my last journey. dislike. Actually, is it the hero's journey? Hmm. You have the wizard. You have the return. What are you trying to say? How? The call to adventure. Fanning Alexander. Star Wars and Crank are all the same movie. <laughs> Basically, yes. Again, don't really have a third dislike. If I had to come up with one, I would say I wish it was longer. Oh, God. I want to live in this world you even just want more. That extra Carl. Just want, uh, yes, I did want more Carl. Because I like, he was well acted. The actor, actor did a fantastic job. Really sold me on how uh, sweaty think, this man was. Who do you think was the worst actor in this movie besides Fanny? You can't say Fanny. Can't I mean, say I don't kids. think she was bad. She just didn't really have anything to do. I know, but I. I'm not saying she was bad, but I know with that question, you would have went straight for Fanny. Who do you think is the worst actor in this movie? Ah, that is hard. Everyone is so good in this. Uh, I don't know. Everyone is really good. Like even the small characters like Siri, one of the maids. She has this line that's something like, you know, uh, times that are very joyful other for others are for some people, extremely sad. Um, at the Christmas dinner, a little girl asks her why she isn't as happy like everyone else. And it's just a very small part. It's one line, but it make it kind of makes you kind of makes you want to tear up because this woman's life obviously is kind of lacking joy. I don't know. Probably uh one of the kids, uh Puta. Fine, the little boy. Why do you find entertainment in watching things about lacking joy? That's all you pick. M- movies about lacking joy. No joy. Oh, no I don't. 
This okay. is about sorry this, you pack you pick Cat in a Hat too. Like like Celine and Julie, this is another film about storytelling, about cre oh about imagination, God. about creativity. That's what it is. That's another like huge overarching theme, I guess. Th- those are yeah, it's not a happy thing, you know. Sometimes the experience of creation, sometimes being like a person of faith, isn't always a happy thing. It's a difficult thing to do because there's a lot of harshness in the world. But the 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 ends outweigh the, the what is it? The ends justify the means. You know, the end point is all almost always worth it. You know what I want to say, Yanni? And I know this kind of contradicts what I was saying earlier about not having time, but I didn't have time for the most part. It's only the last two days that I had some time to watch some stuff. I started watching Neon Genesis, Evan, whatever you call it. Evangelion. Yeah. Have you ever seen it? No, but it's like everyone talks about Neon Genesis. So the fact that you didn't know how to pronounce Evangelion is just... Evangelion. Yeah. It boggles so, the mind. Folks, I won't get into it too much, but there's a lot of similarities. That show is trippy. That show starts off making sense, and then in the last couple episodes goes haywire, and people say, I don't know what this show is about. I don't understand it. This is crazy. This is nuts. This is confusing. Let me tell you, I don't know how you can... It's confusing. It's trippy. It's nuts. But, like, it doesn't even hold a fucking candle to Celine and Julie. Like, <laughs> it is so straightforward compared to shit like that. And I'm like, do you just not under... It's very clear what's going on to me. It's weird, but it under... it makes sense. Celine and Julie is an all whole fucking... Yanni, that is, like, gonna go down as one of the worst. The worst. Fuck oh, no, I, I know. I'm happy. Anything else you want to say? Or can I give my final thoughts? I don't really have anything else. I think you need to give your final thoughts. Uh, By the way, folks, the final thoughts, the screen cap he provided me with is one of a half decomposed dog carcass in a sewer that uh, I believe is appears at the very beginning of Act 5. So how are you going to contradict what I imagine this image is supposed to express? Well, the, the the text is going to be, this is me after watching the movie. Now, you already kind of look like that before, though. Fuck you, man. Yanni, what do you think <laughs> I'm going to give this rating-wise? I'm just curious what you... Um, I'd say at least a 7.3. Incredibly if, specific. If, if we're doing decimals, which I think we should. God, I can't believe I'm about to If do you this. would just get out of your ass already. I can't believe I'm about, about to do what I'm about to do. the whole decimal points thing. You're about oh, to give it a higher a higher rating. This is a long episode, so I'm not going to give any specific final thoughts. You know I like this movie. You know I think it is a good movie. Even though the cons are not huge cons in comparison to how strong the, the likes, the strengths are. Even though it's still five fucking hours and way too fucking long. <laughs> I like, it's just not okay. It's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're talking about it like it like it kissed your mother. It's not okay. It's just not okay that it did that. It's not right. It shouldn't exist. Not right. Now, as we established in a previous episode, I had to up my Doom 2 score to an 8. And I hold steadfast that that Doom 2 score is an 8. Because it is the only way I can justify the rating I'm about to give. Which is, this is an 8. I'm giving this movie an 8. Because there's no uh, world. Yeah, yeah. It's very good. I can't see it as a seven. I can't see it below an eight. An eight for me is really <laughs> solid. I'm never going to give a movie a 10 unless it's very, un- it's extremely unlikely I'm going to give a movie a 10. It's very, only like my top movies are getting nines or somewhere there, right? So an eight is incredibly solid for me, right? 
but I also Doom Two is on my top ten movies. I cannot put this Whatever. over I Doom Two, even though I will admit that filmmaking is better than Doom Two. I'm not gonna say that this is not a better. Yeah, that's this, insane. This is obviously a better film than Doom Two, but I love Doom Two. You have 2. to be like an Indian nationalist to believe. That. I love Doom Two like so. Whatever much. their equivalent of the 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 alt right movement is in India, you'd have to be that. So, yeah, this is an eight. This is an eight out of ten. Hey, do you know, have you realized that this what this podcast really is? It's me saying I dislike your films and then making you watch films that I thought you would never watch, but I knew you would like because it's impossible not to like them in some cases. What are you talking about? We just watched Celine and Julie. Yeah. But Once Upon a Time in America was you you actually liked for the most part. You kind of liked The Leopard. You, for the most part, enjoyed um, Come and See, The Return. I have only, you have only shown me one film that I thought was relatively decent that I gave above a seven. Okay, to be fair, you you rated Raiders of the Lost Ark under a seven out of spite. So don't even. No, no, I really don't like Raiders. (laughs) That's just the stupidest opinion I've ever heard in my life. But you know what? You know what I do like? You know what I do like, Sean? The Italian job. I like it way more than I like Raiders. Yeah, see, I've picked some ones. We both picked ones that we No, 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 no. No, no, no. I've picked ones. You've picked one. Plural, singular. No. Wait, you haven't saying... picked another one. I've picked multiple that you wound up liking. You have only picked one that I wound up Besides liking. Besides the Italian job? Well, that's the point. Nothing else. The point is that I have to pick ones that you don't like. It means you're bad at picking. No, it means I have better taste than you. Yanni, I could pick movies that I think are actually good that are a questionable mark, you know, but I don't want to risk you liking it. It just means I'm better at hosting. I'm better at my job than you. Yeah, sure. Okay, so yeah. so that's uh, yeah. your rating. You give it an eight. About yeah. we're, we're about wrapping up now, folks. So now we're going to do God. the intro to the For next week's film. Episode. What are we watching next week? Well, I thought I would give you a break, Sean. So you know how Thank every God. single one of my picks has been over three hours. I did. I tallied it up. I did the math last time after we'd finished recording. You remember this. And uh, with the total runtime of all the films that I've picked so far, I have made you watch 1,120 minutes of my films. Over the past, my past five picks. I just want you to know you're a cunt. Yes, I know I am. <laughs> so I, like I said, we're going to go easy. We're going to pick something we both love. Uh, I'm going with something that's under an hour. Going with another Buster Keaton flick. Uh, you had wanted me to pick the seven chances. Didn't get a love chance to watch chances, it. Yeah. But another one I know you really like that I also really love. That's pretty, pretty influential, pretty important in the American film canon is Sherlock Jr., and it's only 45 minutes, so it's going to be a real easy, easy watch. I'm pretty sure it's in the public domain now, so you can find it pretty much anywhere. And Sean, don't forget, I got a big, got a big announcement for the next episode. So all you listeners out there, be sure to be sure to tune in to, to number 50 because Yanni's going to make a big reveal. Can't wait. By the way, in case I know I'm dragging this out, but Yanni bragging about how much oh, I only picked the good movies that you like. La Cirque Rouge hated it. John McEnroe in the realm of perfection hated it. Passion of Anna hated it. Um, Badlands. Yeah. Oh my fucking God, did I hate that? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that uh, I've picked more than five films that you wound up liking, and you've only picked one that I wound up liking. Again, I'm doing my job. I foresee no, that you, you could potentially it. When like When you something. picked Italian Job, you told me, 
oh, I'm not really sure I should have picked I this one because sure. he's probably going to like it. Because, but admittedly, a lot of times you complain about characters and how my care okay. movies lack character. Well, the other thing and I do say is that that if movie I haven't has seen character. a film in like 10 or 15 years, I don't say that I still hate it. I say that I haven't seen it in 10 or 15 years, Mr. I saw uh, Once Upon a Time in America when I was in high school, decided I hated it then, then 10 years passed, and I realized, oh, I was a dumb kid, Mr. That. That's not what I said. That's basically, that was the gist of what you said. That was the, the Spark no, Notes edition what I, what I of said your proclamation. What I said was that I watched it in high school. I didn't have the life experience that I do now, and I did legitimately hate it. I legitimately hated it in high school. And now I legitimately liked it a lot. That's what I'm saying. Whatever. Whatever. You know what I'm saying, Sean? Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs>